Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about acute coronary syndrome and you can follow along with written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash ACS or in the cardiology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Let's start with pathophysiology. Acute coronary syndrome is usually the result of a thrombus from an atherosclerotic plaque that is blocking a coronary artery. When a thrombus forms in a fast-flowing artery, it's made up mostly of platelets. And this is why antiplatelet medications such as aspirin, clopidogrel and ticagrelor are the mainstay of treatment. Let's go through some basic anatomy of the coronary arteries. The left coronary artery becomes the circumflex and the left anterior descending arteries. The right coronary artery curves around the right side and under the heart and it supplies the right atrium, the right ventricle, the inferior aspect of the left ventricle and the posterior septal area. The circumflex artery curves around the top left and the back of the heart and it supplies the left atrium and the posterior aspect of the left ventricle. And the left anterior descending artery travels down the middle of the heart and supplies the anterior aspect of the left ventricle and the anterior aspect of the septum. There are three types of acute coronary syndrome. Unstable angina, ST elevation myocardial infarction or STEMI, and non-ST elevation myocardial infarction or NSTEMI. So how do we make a diagnosis? When a patient presents with possible acute coronary syndrome symptoms, for example chest pain, perform an ECG initially, If there's ST elevation or new left bundle branch block, then the diagnosis is a STEMI. If there's no ST elevation, then you need to perform troponin blood tests. And if there's a rise in the troponin blood levels, or there's other ECG changes such as ST depression, T-wave inversion, or pathological Q-waves, then the diagnosis is an N-STEMI. If the troponin levels are normal, and the ECG does not show pathological changes, the diagnosis is either unstable angina or another cause such as musculoskeletal chest pain. Let's talk about the presenting typical symptoms of acute coronary syndrome. The typical presenting complaint is central constricting chest pain, and this could be associated with nausea and vomiting, sweating and clamminess, feelings of impending doom, shortness of breath, palpitations, and pain radiating to the jaw or the arms. Symptoms should continue at rest for more than 20 minutes. If they settle with rest, consider angina as the diagnosis. Diabetic patients may not experience typical chest pain during acute coronary syndrome, and this can be often referred to as a silent MI. Next, let's talk about ECG changes in acute coronary syndrome. The typical changes in an ST elevation MI or a STEMI are ST segment elevation in leads consistent with the area of ischemia and also new left bundle branch block can be used to diagnose a STEMI as well as ST elevation. Non-ST elevation myocardial infarction or N-STEMI changes on an ECG include ST segment depression in a specific region, deep T-wave inversion, 
and pathological Q waves. And pathological Q waves suggest a deep infarction, and it's often a late sign that a myocardial infarction has occurred. It's helpful to be aware of the artery, the heart area that it supplies, and the ECG leads that are affected in myocardial infarctions, as this is a typical question on exams. The left coronary artery supplies the anterior lateral aspect of the heart, and the ECG leads that are typically affected are 1, AVL, and V3 to V6. The left anterior descending artery supplies the anterior aspect of the heart, and the ECG leads that are affected are V1 to V4. The circumflex artery supplies the lateral aspect of the heart, and the leads that are affected are 1, AVL, and V5 to V6. And the right coronary artery supplies the inferior aspect of the heart, and the ECG's leads that are affected are 2, 3, and AVL. Next, let's talk about troponins. Troponins are proteins found in cardiac muscle. The specific type of troponin, the normal range, and the diagnostic criteria vary based on different laboratories, so always check the local policy. A diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome typically requires serial troponins, for example, at baseline, at 6 hours, or at 12 hours after the onset of symptoms. A rise in troponin is consistent with myocardial infarction as the proteins are released from the ischemic muscle in the heart that's been damaged. They're a non-specific blood test, meaning that a raised troponin does not automatically mean acute coronary syndrome. And there are a number of alternative causes of a raised troponin. And these can be chronic renal failure, sepsis, myocarditis, aortic dissection, and a pulmonary embolism. Next, let's talk about other investigations you would perform in acute coronary syndrome. You'd perform all the investigations you'd normally arrange for stable angina. So this is things like doing a physical examination, taking a detailed history of risk factors, doing an ECG, full blood count, usernees, liver function tests, a lipid profile, thyroid function tests, and a HbA1c. Additionally, you would also do a chest x-ray to investigate for pulmonary edema and other causes of chest pain, an echocardiogram after the event to assess the functional damage to the heart from the myocardial infarction, and you may do a CT coronary angiogram to assess for coronary artery disease. Next, let's move on to the management of acute coronary syndrome. Let's start with acute ST elevation myocardial infarction treatment. And it's important to always check the local policy for your up-to-date guidance on how to manage these conditions. Patients with an ST elevation MI presenting within 12 hours of onset should be discussed urgently with a local cardiac center for either primary PCI, if available within two hours of presentation, or thrombolysis if PCI is not available within two hours. The local cardiac centre will advise about further management such as loading with aspirin and ticagrelor. Percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, involves putting a catheter into the patient's brachial or femoral artery, feeding that up to the coronary arteries under X-ray guidance, and injecting contrast to identify the areas of blockage in the coronary arteries. 
This can then be treated using balloons to widen the gap or devices to remove or aspirate the blockage. And usually a stent is put in place to keep the artery open. Thrombolysis involves injecting a fibrinolytic medication, meaning it breaks down fibrin, and this medication rapidly dissolves clots. There's a significant risk of bleeding, which can make it a dangerous thing to do. So the risks and benefits need to be weighed up for using thrombolysis. Some examples of thrombolytic agents are streptokinase, alteplase, and tenecteplase. Next, let's talk about the treatment for an acute non-ST elevation MI. And this can be remembered using the mnemonic BATMAN. B is for beta blockers and less contraindicated. A is for aspirin, 300 milligrams stat dose. T is for ticagrelor, 180 milligrams stat dose. Alternatively, clopidogrel, 300 milligrams. M is for morphine titrated to control the pain. A is for an anticoagulant, and this is usually low molecular weight heparin at the treatment dose, for example, anoxaparin 1 milligram per kilogram twice daily for 2 to 8 days, and N is for nitrates, usually meaning GTN to help relieve the coronary artery spasm and improve the pain. You only give oxygen if their oxygen saturations are dropping, for example, below 95%. Next, we'll talk about the GRACE score, which is used to assess for PCI procedures in a non-ST elevation MI. And this scoring system gives a six-month risk of death or repeat MI after an NSTEMI. A score of less than 5% is low risk, 5-10% to is medium risk, and above 10% is high risk. If they're a medium or high risk, then they're considered for early PCI within four days of admission to treat the underlying coronary artery disease. You need to remember the complications of a myocardial infarction, and you can use the mnemonic DREAD to remember these. D is for death. R is for rupture of the heart septum or papillary muscles. E is for edema, meaning heart failure. A is for two things arrhythmia and aneurysm, and D is for Dressler's syndrome. So let's talk more about Dressler's syndrome. This is also called post-myocardial infarction syndrome, and it usually occurs around two to three weeks after an MI. It's caused by a localized immune response and causes pericarditis or inflammation of the pericardium around the heart. It's become less common as the management of acute coronary syndrome becomes more advanced and effective. It typically presents with pleuritic chest pain, a low-grade fever, and a pericardial rub on auscultation. It can cause a pericardial effusion and rarely a pericardial tamponade, which is where fluid builds up in the pericardial sac and constricts the heart and prevents the heart functioning effectively. And this is quite dangerous. A diagnosis can be made with an ECG, and that will show things like global ST elevation and T-wave inversion, an echocardiogram, which will show a pericardial effusion, and raised inflammatory markers such as a CRP and ESR. Management is with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, such as aspirin or ibuprofen, and in more severe cases, steroids like prednisolone. 
they may need pericardiocentesis to remove fluid from around the heart in the pericardial sac. Let's talk about secondary prevention, which is medical management with the six A's. And these are aspirin, 75 milligrams once a day, another antiplatelet such as clopidogrel or ticagrelor for up to 12 months, atorvastatin, 80 milligrams once a day, an ACE inhibitor such as ramipril, titrated as tolerated up to 10 milligrams once a day, atenolol or another beta blocker, titrated as high as tolerated, and an aldosterone antagonist for those with clinical heart failure, for example, a plerinone titrated to 50 milligrams once a day. Dual antiplatelet duration will vary following PCI procedures depending on the type of stent that was inserted. And this is due to a higher risk of thrombus formation with different types of stents. There's a few secondary prevention lifestyle measures that need to be put in place. And this is stopping smoking, reducing alcohol consumption, following a Mediterranean diet, cardiac rehabilitation, which involves specific exercises for patients post-MI to rebuild the function in the heart and their exercise tolerance and optimising treatment for other medical conditions like diabetes and hypertension. Finally, we'll talk about the types of myocardial infarction. And this is slightly unnecessary knowledge for everyday practice, but it's worth being aware of. It's worth avoiding labelling different types of MI, as it could confuse people unless they're a medical registrar or a cardiologist. Type 1 MIs are traditional myocardial infarctions due to an acute coronary event. Type 2 MIs are where there's ischemia secondary to increased demand or reduced oxygen supply, for example, secondary to severe anemia, tachycardia or hypotension. Type 3 MIs refer to sudden cardiac death or cardiac arrest, suggesting an ischemic event. And type 4 MIs are MIs associated with procedures such as PCI, coronary stenting or coronary artery bypass graft. So thanks for listening to this episode on acute coronary syndrome. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. If you found this podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. You can also find a full audiobook version of the Zero to Finals Medicine book on Audible, which is available to download now. So you can take all the topics with you wherever you go, or listen from cover to cover or to individual chapters or topics. You can also find a print copy of the Zero to Finals Pediatrics books, which contains all the individual specialties and topics that you need to know for your pediatrics exams. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the books, don't worry, you can find everything completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on acute left ventricular failure and pulmonary edema.